but, but let's go ahead and, and pray, and then we'll, we'll start it out that way. Uh, Jesus, thank you for giving us the, the time to be together tonight. We pray as we, as we um, dive into what you have to teach us through your word, uh, that we will be um, humble to receive it and uh, that you would help us to, to learn what we need to learn in these six weeks together. And we are, we're grateful for Jesus and what he's done for us. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let, let's just start with some basic stuff. Like, what is Christian ethics? Um, that is probably a good place to start. And just like, just like last time, I'm going to have a bunch of stuff on the screen. Feel free to write down what you want. Uh, you don't have to write down word for word all of this stuff because there's going to be a lot. But I've tried to underline some of the things that, that are kind of key to catch um, as much as I could. But let's just do a basic definition. I'm working uh, on this class. I'm just kind of developing this class through a couple of textbooks um, that, I, that I get to read so you don't have to. But if you want to read them, you can. Uh, one of them is Christian Ethics by Wayne Grudem. Wayne Grudem was the guy we did his systematic theology last year. Um, this is formulate or formatted very similarly to his systematic theology. And I just like the way Grudem thinks. I don't always agree with what he thinks, but I, I definitely like how he thinks. He thinks very systematically, and, and I do too. So that just is helpful as a framework. So a lot of what I'm going to give you is from Grudem. Um, there's another guy I am taking a lot from as well, and it's uh, John Frame. Uh, he wrote a book called The Doctrine of the Christian Life, and this is his ethics book, and it's a big one too. Um, I took John Frame's class, ethics class, in in my graduate school studies, and uh, he's, a, he's a genius. I mean, he's a brilliant man. Um, again, I don't always agree with everything he says, but uh, it's because, you know, he's a person. We're, we, can be, we can differ on some things, but I do definitely appreciate his, his perspective. So um, those two books I would recommend if you want to do a deeper dive and really, really dig in, because we're just going to do a quick flyover of a lot of this stuff as we work through this. Um, but here's the definition from Frame's book for, for Christian ethics. Um, Christian ethics is any study that answers the question, what does the Bible, the whole Bible, teach about which acts, attitudes, and personal character traits receive God's approval and which do not? So that's from John Frame. Uh, he, he is essentially saying that ethics is just the study of, Christian ethics is the study of what the Bible teaches about the actions, the attitudes, um, and um, the character traits that God approves of and what he doesn't approve of. So we're kind of working in uh, the realm of morality through ethics. We're working on what's right, what's wrong, uh, talking through a, a lot of these, these issues. And tonight we're not going to get into any like real specific ethical dilemmas, uh, but we will as we work through the class. Um, we'll start talking about some specific things and I'll try to be as relevant with the times as we can and, um, and kind of deal with some of the things that, that we're seeing pop up in our current day, which is a lot of craziness, right? I mean, it feels that way, at least. Um, so that's the definition we're working off of. Basically, the purpose of this class is to take you to the Bible and help you see what the Bible has to say about the things that God approves of and what he doesn't approve of. And we're going to do that through a specific uh, format, as we'll get to in just a second. But before we do, let's talk about some of the ethical systems that exist. There's a whole bunch of ethical systems out there. 
Um, and I think it's worth spending a little bit of time kind of talking through what what different ethics uh, people in this realm of ethics think about these issues. Um, so while this class is not primarily uh, to teach secular ethics, that we're primarily trying to teach what the Bible has to say about these things, um, I think it is helpful to look at some of the secular theories that are out there and see if they are coherent with the Bible in any way. Uh, some of them are, some of them are not. Um, but the real problem with ethical systems that don't ground themselves in the Bible is that they don't actually have anything to stand on. They're, they're really just shaking with the times and moving and, and shifting. And, and so you really have to ground your ethical worldview in something solid and consistent, which is the Bible for Christians. Um, but I do think that there are some helpful things that we can glean from, from the different ways people tackle ethics. So here's the first one we'll talk about tonight. It's called deontological systems. That's a word that I have never said before. Um, so I don't even know if I pronounced that right, but I think so. Deontological systems. Uh, so the word deontological is based on a Greek verb, uh, day, which is uh, delta, epsilon, iota, uh, or DEI in the transliteration to English. Um, basically, that Greek verb, day, means it is necessary or it should be done. So from that, deontological systems mean that it's an ethical system based on rules for right and wrong, the things that ought to be done, right? And, and what ought to be done and what not ought to be done. So you're, a deontological system is going to look at the world and go, what are the rules? What's right? What's wrong? Uh, let's follow the rules, um, and the, these systems can be secular, right? And if they're secular, they're going to be based on rules like human reason or intuition or something else like that. Just something that you, you're kind of like, this is what everybody thinks and therefore it's the rule. Or deontological systems could be Christian, meaning that they come, the rules in which we follow come from the Bible, so all Christian ethical systems um, go to the scriptures, right, and God's commands. Uh, and those, we could call them rules, right? In a sense, they are rules, and they define for us what is right and what is wrong, uh, what kind of conduct honors the Lord and which does not. So in a sense, all Christian ethical systems are deontological, but you don't have to be a Christian to have a a system to, to believe in an ethical system like this. Um, so basically just take from this deontological means uh, what ought to be done. So there's, there's rules, there's systems, and we're going to follow those. So that's one way in which ethics are looked at. The, the second way tonight, we're going to look at, I think, four different uh, systems. The second one is teleological systems. And this is uh, based on a Greek noun, which is telos. Uh, which means end, goal, or outcome. Um, and so when, uh, actually when Jesus uh, dies on the cross and he says, it is finished, that is actually translated from the Greek word telos, that it is completed, it's, it's accomplished, it's done. Um, and then, so teleological systems are ethical systems based on seeking the best result of an action. 
so the point of a teleological system is to say, what is the end result and what's going to be the best end result? And let's do the things that lead to that end result. So you're going you're gonna to ask the questions and you're going to look at the world through that lens. How do we actually accomplish the best result? And there's, there's a number of like sub-theories within this. We'll look at a couple of them here. It's a, the most common one, secular teleological theory, is called utilitarianism. Uh, and what that means is that it, it seeks the greatest good for the greatest number of people. So basically, a utilitarian uh, version of ethics will, will ask the question, what do we do that gets the best result for the greatest number, the largest number of people? And that's what's going to define good. And so most modern arguments about political issues are based on these kind of considerations. Most politicians, if they're doing their jobs, uh, is to say what, what policies, what laws will benefit the most number of people with the best good. So this is uh, one of the systems in which um, they would think, even if they wouldn't use these terms, this is how they're thinking is let's try to get a goal that's the best for the best, uh, the largest number of people. Uh, so that's utilitarianism. Another one is um, ethical egoism, which involves seeking whatever is best for yourself personally. Uh, this is obviously contrary to Jesus's teaching. There's not much that we can say that Christians can take from here because uh, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. We are to look outward. We are to care about what is good for others as we care about ourselves. Uh, but we're not supposed to just care purely about what's best for us. But this is one version of uh, ethics, decision-making, ethical egoism. And again, nobody would necessarily use these terms outside of an academic setting. But I think that the, the sentiment, you do you, pretty much summarizes this. Uh, just it doesn't matter what you're doing. Just if it makes you happy, just do it. And, uh, and that's, that's obviously problematic. Um, uh, Anne Rond, I don't know how to pronounce her name exactly, but she promoted this. This was a big thing for her in the 20th century. This was kind of what, what made her famous, was this idea. Um, and so ethical egoism is... Do, do what's best for you. Don't really worry about what else is out there. Um, in contrast to secular teleological systems, like utilitarianism or uh, what we just looked at, a Christian ethical system should have a God-centered teleological aspect to it. So the Bible teaches us that everything we do should be done for the glory of God. That's the goal. That's the end. That's the result of what we're to, to do and live. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Uh, as Christians, there is an aspect of teleological ethics in what we do uh, because we do have a goal. An end goal is to glorify God. He gets the glory. You could also say uh, that our decision-making the goal of it is to love God, love people. And, and what God calls us to as Christians is, is those things. And so we, we make decisions that lend them the result to God's glory and to the good of others. And so that's um, teleological system. So you have deontological, it's the rules, follow the rules. Christian ethics falls into that as we look at the scriptures and say, here's what God says. Here's what God says we shouldn't do. 
That is deontological in a sense. Teleological systems look at the goal, the result of what our ethical decisions uh, meet um, and, and find their result in. And for Christians, it's the glory of God and the good of others. So Christianity can fit within these two. A third ethical system that exists out there is called relativism. Um, ethical relativism is the belief that there is no absolute right or wrong. Uh, and so ethical decisions should be based on what's commonly accepted uh, in each person's culture, which would be cultural relativism, or on each individual personal preferences, which would be individual relativism. So it kind of just depends on um, you know, which, which direction you're, you're landing on here, um, whether it's the culture says it's okay, therefore it's okay, or it's not okay, therefore it's not okay, or I say it's okay, or I say it's not okay. So, but, but ultimately, relativism goes, hey, there's no actual answer here. We just got to do what's, what collectively we, we think we should do, or what individually I think I should do. And, and that can be different for you than for me. It could be different for America than for England, for example, or whatever. Um, and they would say that the cultural differences um, you know, play a part. Obviously, this starts to break down when you, when you start to see some actual problems like uh, cannibalism, for example. Right? In some cultures, cannibalism is, a, is totally accepted. Uh, in fact, I had friends uh, who were missionaries in Papua New Guinea with Wycliffe, Bible translators, and uh, they were there, obviously, after the cannibalism was shut down. Um, but that's what happened. Basically, the Australians came over with some guns. They actually believed in guns back then, I guess. Um, but they had guns, and they told the cannibals, stop eating each other, or we're going to kill you. <laughs> and they stopped eating each other, uh, at least in uh, in you know, public ways. So there's a point in which you can start to go, yeah, cultural relativism is a problem sometimes. And, uh, and I think we could think of other examples that aren't quite that ridiculous over the top, but, but that's an obvious one. Um, in a more, um, I guess maybe a less crazy sense that I heard this idea expressed, this idea of cultural relativism expressed by a guy named Jordan Peterson. I don't know if you guys have heard of him. He's a psychologist, uh, kind of in the conservative world right now because he said some things that got him canceled from the, the left. And so he's sort of found some safe harbor with the right and um, whatever, right? Okay. Um, but he was having, I, I listened to a part of an interview he had on his podcast with a guy named Dave Rubin, who is a political commentator. Uh, and he's a, Dave Rubin is homosexual. He's got a husband, uh, we'll talk about whether he actually has a husband or not. We're going to talk about all of that uh, in just, oh, man, shots are going to get fired here quite a bit. But <laughs> but he, he's supposedly married to a guy. And, and they were adopting children this past summer. So he sat down with Jordan Peterson, and they started talking about the pitfalls of uh, two men raising children without, you know, without a mother and all the things. It's a really interesting conversation. But Jordan's comment was, uh, at the beginning, he was like, well, basically, as a culture, we've decided that, that homosexuality is a good, so we just got to work within that. 
Um, and I don't think that Jordan necessarily on a personal level believes that it's the ideal. I can't speak for him. But he just kind of made that like offhand comment that, well, because as a culture we've decided this is fine, let's not ask if this is fine. Let's just assume it's fine. And, and that's cultural relativism in a, in a nutshell. Um, and again, I don't know if he had more time to articulate that. He may, he, he's much smarter than me, so he'd probably blast me out of the water. But the point is, is that, 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 that mentality of, well, we've all decided this is just going to be the way it is. Um, okay, so, so that's, that's cultural relativism kind of in the modern uh, ways in which it plays out. Um, so we'll get into all of that as we work through the class, but, um, there's a particular kind of relativism called ethical emotivism. Uh, and this is a view that basically there is no such thing as right or wrong ultimately, but when you claim something is right or wrong, what you're doing is not making a judgment on the thing. You're just expressing your feelings about the thing. Uh, and so they would say, if you say this is wrong, well, you're not actually saying it's wrong. You're just saying you don't like it. And, and that's um, unfortunately become such a common thing, I think, in our, in our day and age where emotions and, the, and we just like are so gut reactionary people right now. It's, we're not really rationally thinking through all the implications. This is really common where we, we kind of go, well, I don't like that. And that's why when you express your concern about something, like in an online space, and then you get jumped on by all the people who disagree with you, they're, they're going to jump on you because you are, actually, um, you are actually feeling wrongly about this situation. And so they're not going to come at you with a reasoned, rational explanation for why you're wrong. They're going to just kind of blast you with their, their anger because they're angry at you being angry about this, right? And it's just kind of a crazy world where we're living in, in that regard right now. Um, but that's ethical emotivism. And then um, there is one more version of, uh, of this, of, um, yeah, of, what, what am I doing here? Of uh, relativism. relativism, thank you, there's the word. I just forgot the word, thank you. Um, it's called uh, antinomianism. And this is kind of a Christian-y version of this. We'll get into a little bit more about this later on today. But antinomianism basically means you're against the law. That's what the, the word means. So anti is against. Nomos is Greek for law. Um, and so against the law means that you don't really believe there are any true moral laws. And in the Christian realm, this plays out in like, hey, I can just do whatever I want. Uh, God's, you know, doesn't really have any expectations on my life. Um, he's going to forgive me anyways for everything I do, so let me just go on doing it. And Paul dealt with this a lot. He dealt with it in um, quite a few places. But Romans 3.8, he, he says, um, he's basically quoting his, his opponents here, and they're saying, why not do evil that good may come? Uh, and so the, the, no, the notion is that why not be bad because God's going to do good with it anyways. And so there's kind of this, been this long history throughout the church of, of people going, well, let's just not worry about what God actually says. Let's just do whatever we want. We'll talk a little bit more about, about that um, tonight, but I wanted to touch on it here. Um, okay. And then, sorry, one more thing on relativism. 
there's also a thing called situation ethics. Uh, so this is another view of relativism, which says that there's no right or wrong, ultimately, not absolutely, but a person should do the best thing or the most loving thing based on the situation. So situational ethics is saying, hey, like, there may not be a right or a wrong in this, but I just need to respond to it in the most loving way I can as this situation evolves. So basically, relativism in all of its forms um, do not really have a place in Christian ethics. We, We can't really go here. There are things we can learn from deontological systems and teleological systems. This system uh, really doesn't have a place in Christian ethics because the Bible teaches that there's absolute right and wrong. The Bible teaches us that God is who he is. And, and so we can't accept ethical relativism. Um, we're going to see later on uh, that careful Christian decision-making will take into account factual details and may we in specific situations uh, and I'll take those under consideration. We're not always going to do the same thing in every situation. We're not just going to be bulldozing through everything. There are going to be situations where we have to be a little more nimble and, and understanding and slow to speak and quick to hear and right. So wisdom plays into all of that. Uh, but, but that doesn't, take away from the fact that there's a right and a wrong in the situation. So right and wrongs exist. Christians have to embrace that. If we don't, we have literally nothing to stand on. And so there's a, there, there's really not a lot to uh, take from this as far as our, our purposes. But I thought it, it's obviously a very big issue right now. Um, okay, oh, I think one more ethical system to talk about before we get into a little bit more of this class. Um, that is virtue ethics. Sometimes it's called ex- existential ethics. Um, so the theory of virtue ethics um, doesn't emphasize whether a specific action is right or wrong. That's not where the emphasis is. But what they emphasize is the moral character of the individuals at play. Uh, And so what they're concerned about primarily is whether you're a virtuous person. So so what that means is um, the ethical decisions from virtue ethics will be, well, as long as you're a good person, as long as you mean well, as long as you're doing, you know, what's what's the the best you can in the situation, then then it doesn't really matter what decisions you're making or uh, how, how you're really dealing with a, someone else's problems. As long as you're coming at it with goodwill, and you're a virtuous person, that's all good. Uh, and so one, how does that play out? Well, it, I think today the big thing is uh, virtue signaling. You maybe have heard this phrase before. It's, uh, it's really an annoying thing, but <laughs> it's basically when somebody, a person or a company, it happens a lot with corporations right now, um, but it happens a lot with individuals too. Uh, this is where basically we want the people out there. And again, so much of this has has legs because we live our lives so detached from actual human beings. We're as a culture, we're we're out here in this in in this ether, uh, you know, with all these people that we never actually see in real life. Um, and so it gets really kind of weird. But we're just trying to project virtue out into the world. 
And, and so you get a lot of people who will, will make decisions uh, or try to signal to others that they are a virtuous person, even if they're not, and even if they know they're not. Uh, what that really means is that there's a, if there's a situation that comes up or some kind of a problem that, that hits the world, uh, they'll do something really, really basic, really unaffecting anything, but just to make themselves look like good, decent people, they'll change their profile picture and then suddenly, suddenly they are the most virtuous human being on the earth, just like everyone else. So uh, you got a lot of, it's just, I don't know. I don't know how much I should say about this, but, uh, you know, it's like, okay, one example on the corporate level especially is uh, every June it's uh, supposedly LGBTQ Pride Month or something. I don't know who decided this, but... (laughs) Someone decided this. And um, so what happens every June, June 1st, you log on to any website, Amazon, Walmart, Apple, Nike, L.L. Bean, whatever it is. And what happens? Their logo changes and there's this big rainbow and it's all it's all virtue signaling. I mean, it's just the corporation saying we want we have calculated that this is a better way for us to do business than to ignore these people. So they, they do this, and, and they all do it. They're all guilty of it. They've all been bullied into it in some way or another. Um, and so that, that happens. But it also happens individually, like with, uh, again, I'm not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about these things, but like when Russia invaded Ukraine last year, like you, you can genuinely care about that. Um, you can have compassion for the people of Ukraine. That's not a problem. But like putting a yellow and blue thing on your profile is not doing anything except signaling that you are a virtuous person, mm-hmm. right? So instead of like doing those things, maybe just put your money where your mouth is, maybe pray for people without posting it everywhere. Or, you know, there's lots of things you can do to, to help. Um, but the virtue signaling thing is basically where we are as a ethical people right now is we want people to think we're good decent humans Um, and so what we do is we we do meaningless things to make that that out there publicly um okay but where does christian ethics fit into this there is there is a some redeeming quality to this uh christian ethical systems should emphasize virtue ethics in in the positive ways of it because the bible teaches that we should develop christ-like character so there, there is a sense in which our, our character and our virtue as it grows in Christ should be a, a part of our ethical decision makings. We become more compassionate because Christ is compassionate to us. We're growing into Christ-likeness. Romans 8.29 says that God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. He, he chose to save us in advance with the goal of making us like Jesus. And, and that's a good thing. And so there is a place for virtue in this conversation, but we need to talk about Christian virtue, genuine change of heart through the gospel, working in our lives. And that's why Peter says to make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. We should be growing in these ways. Um, but it, that's different than just you know, posting out there into the ether that you have some ethical, you know, uh, heart inside of you. What we should really be as Christians is changed by Jesus, and then that actually affects the world in which we live. So so there's that. Um, 
we'll, we'll wrap up the ethical theories and ethical systems with this. A uh, system of Christian ethics that's based on the Bible does not fit neatly into any of these categories we've just talked about. But there are aspects of them that we, we can find within Christian ethics. If they're derived from the Bible, it will be deontological in the sense that it's uh, defining right and wrong based on what God says in Scripture. It can also be teleological, uh, that it seeks the, the best result, namely the glory of God, right? And, that, and it can include a component of virtue ethics because it will seek to develop Christ-like character in us. Uh, so, so there's things that we can glean from each of these systems, but Christian ethics don't fit neatly uh, into one of these uh, to the exclusion of others. We have to have a more, um, yeah, a broader view of, of ethics as Christians. So let's spend some of the time tonight just talking about what is the basis for Christian ethics. That We're talking about the Christian life and ethics, not academically what is you know, Freud have to say about that or whatever, like that, there's a place for that. It's just not here. It's not this class. This class is Christian ethics. Um, and so I want to just walk us through what, what is our basis. All of today is just intro, uh, setting, the, setting the, the groundwork so that we can build the house over the next uh, five weeks after this. But the basis for Christian ethical standards ultimately is the moral character of God. That's, that's where our ethics are ultimately found. It's in the moral character of God. Uh, So God's character is good. Uh, There's a moral, uh, uh, there's actually like a moral language attached to who God is. Um, When the Bible talks about God's moral character, it talks about him being good. Psalm 119.68 says, you are good, and do good. Teach me your statutes. You are good and you do good. So there is a sense in which there is goodness within the heart of God. That is who he is. That's his character. And because that is who he is, all that he does flows out of that, which is to do good. Deuteronomy 32.4 says the rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. So God is, uh, his, his very character is, is perfection, it is just, it is faithful. These are all moral qualities that flow out of the, the character of God and, and ultimately um, are defining how he acts. Um, so in other in these passages and many other passages, the Bible emphasizes that God's moral character is good. He's a God who is good and loving and just and merciful and faithful and truthful and holy. All these things um, are used in the Bible to describe God, and they're all moral characteristics. And so our morals, our ethics, flow from Him. That's that's where our, our standard is. It's the nature and character of God. And if our ethics don't start with the nature and character of God, uh, then our ethics will always be on shifting sand, right? When we talked about all of these ethical systems uh, outside of the Bible, these deontological, teleological, uh, certainly relativism, 
um, virtue ethics, all these things, if they're not grounded in God's character, who he is, um, then, then they all have a, a moving goalpost ultimately, whether that's the tides of culture, whether that's the, the, the whims and the emotions of the human heart, which is, we all know is, is a very volatile thing. Um, whether that's even on deontological systems where there's a rule. Well, the rule, if it's not based on the Bible, is based on human intuition or human reason. And, and guess what? Those things are not unshakable, unchangeable qualities either. Um, and so we have to have our ethics based on uh, the character of God. Um, secondly, we see that God approves of creatures who conform to his moral character. So when we talk about ethics, we, we start with the ethical character of God, but we also need to acknowledge that the Bible teaches that we should be like him. And God approves of those who conform to him. And so we, we need to obviously talk about that within the realm of the gospel, which we will, um, but, but this is an Im- important point that many passages in the Bible show that God desires and approves of moral creatures who conform to his moral character. So just as God is loving and just and merciful and forgiving and all the other things that we mention, so he desires that we act in those ways, loving, just, merciful, forgiving ways. These are qualities that God approves of him in, in himself and he approves uh, of them in his creatures as well. Um, especially as people who have been made in his image and his likeness, we are to reflect who he is back to the world. And so he delights to contemplate his own moral excellence. God is always uh, uh, seeking his glory, right? The whole universe is meant to seek God's glory and God himself seeks his glory uh, but he also delights to see his, his excellence reflected in us. So let me just give you a few verses to ponder here. First um, <clears throat> Peter 1.15 says, But as he who called you is holy, so he is holy, that's his, that's his moral character, you also be holy in all your conduct. So you see the connection there, right? God is holy, so you should be holy. What does that mean? Well, it means that we should, we should actually be seeking to live morally upright lives as God is morally perfect. We, we won't ever fully attain uh, in this life, on this side of heaven, uh, we won't have fully attain it, but we ought to pursue it in our conduct. Luke 6.36, Jesus says, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So your Father is merciful to you. How should we respond to that reality? Well, we should be merciful. John, the Apostle John in 1 John 4, 19 says, We love because he first loved us. So God is the first uh, one to love. And because he loves us, we ought to love him and others in response to that. But God's the one who loves, and so then we respond. And then... Uh, Ephesians 5, 1 says, Be imitators of God. Be like God as beloved children. And I love that. I love that verse, um, Be imitators of God as beloved 
children. We all can resonate with the fact that when we were kids and when, if we have our own kids now, they, they imitate us for good or for bad, right? Um, they imitate us in, in, unfortunately, most of the time it's, it's seen in the negative things. It's like, oh my gosh, I do that too, you know? Um, but as beloved children of God, we should be imitators of our Heavenly Father. We should be like Him as much as, um, you know, as much as possible, but ultimately through the gospel, not through our own efforts. And, and I, I want to get to that in a bit. But let me give you a quote here real quick from John Murray. He was a professor of systematic theology at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia uh, from 1930 to 1966. Um, and he, here's what he said in one of his books. He wrote, why must we behave in one way and not in another? What, what's, what's, how should we figure that out? He says, the ultimate standard of right is the character or nature of God. The basis of ethics is that God is what he is, and we must be conformed to what he is in holiness, righteousness, truth, goodness, and love. God made man in his own image and after his likeness. Man must, therefore, be like God. So I think Murray's absolutely right in this. This is the thing. What, why do we do one thing and not another? Well, it's ultimately because of what is right based on the character of God and his nature and the standard that he's established. Uh, thirdly here the, on the basis for Christian ethics is that God's moral standards uh, will never cease to be valid for us. Uh, this is a point that um, I take out of Grudem's book here, um, and he he really articulates this in a, in a way that's that I think is powerful. But he says, since God's moral standards flow from His character, which is unchanging, we can conclude that these standards will also apply to us in the age to come. God will never, throughout all eternity, tell us that it is right to serve other gods or to dishonor our fathers and mothers, or to murder, or to commit adultery, or to steal, or to bear false witness. The abiding moral standards that God has given in his word will be valid for all eternity, and obeying them will give joy to our hearts and glory to God forever. So I took that from Grudem, if you want to give him credit for that. I forgot to put his name on the, on the slide, but um, <clears throat> I think that was really uh, a profoundly helpful um, thought here, is that in even on the new heavens and the new earth, when we're in eternity with God, God's not going to just suddenly go, all right, murder's cool now, go for it. Right? It's just never going to happen, right? Because all of this, all of these things that God has told us to do or not to do, when they are broken, is a, is a fracturing of the world that God intends, us, intends for us to live in. And so as we work through these ethical things, we we need to recognize that it's God's, uh, it's not just God giving us a bunch of rules to keep us down and to make us miserable, but these, these rules, so to speak, these, these expectations that he's given us in his word are actually meant for our good, for our flourishing, for our joy. And, and they're meant to reflect in our lives as we live them out by his power and his grace. Um, they, they're actually meant to reflect back to him. So that's the basis for Christian ethics. It's God's moral character. That's where we find all of this. 
let's, let's talk here for a little bit about the source of Christian ethics. And I think you probably know where I'm going with this one. Um, we've already talked about it a bit. But um, basically, the source for Christian ethics is the Bible. It's, it's the scriptures. Um, one of the purposes of the Bible is to enable us to know the actions, attitudes, or character traits that God approves of and which does not, which he does not. So that's back to Frame's definition of Christian ethics, right? That Christian ethics is, is the study of what the whole Bible says about the acts, attitudes, and personal uh, character traits that receive God's approval and which do not. So in other words, um, the, one of the reasons God gave us the Bible was to teach us about his view of moral right and wrong, ethical right and wrong. It's to teach us ethics in part. Uh, we can have two thoughts in our head at one time, though, right? Which is, which is good. I know some of us don't believe that, but we can. Um, the Bible is not exclusively a book of rules. I want to be clear about this. It does teach us ethics. It does teach us God's moral standards. But it's ultimately a book about the salvation we receive through Jesus. If we miss that, we really are missing the whole point, right? That the Bible is a book that tells us how we were created by God, fell into sin, have been redeemed through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and how ultimately he's going to come back and, and restore the world to himself. And the Bible does show us how life works best in a fallen world through these moral teachings. These are both true. Um, and and um, we, we've got to be careful not to be overly on one side or the other in this because um, it, it's absolutely, these are both equally and vitally true that the Bible is a story of God's redeeming grace and it's also a way to teach us how life works best in a fallen world. So there are ethical implications in the Bible, but there's ultimately a grand story that's being told through the scriptures and we need to recognize both of those. Um, and it, unfortunately, I think most Christians, uh, at least in modern time, have seen the Bible just exclusively as a book of rules that we can either regard or disregard. Um, and I think that misses the whole point because it's really not just about the rules. It's, it's really about how Jesus comes into the world under those rules and follows them perfectly for his people and then dies in our place as we failed to do that. Um, but as he does that, he gives us new life and he calls us into a different way. And, and we get to now joyfully follow the, the way in which he wants, to, wants the world to operate as his people. So we can see this in the scriptures here. Psalm 1, 1 to 2 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So there in the first Psalm, you are seeing the contrast between the, the man who, or the person who walks in the counsel of the wicked or, the, or standing and delighting in the law of the Lord. And so, You've got this contrast of life. Now, Luther would say that the man is Jesus um, and that he is the epitome of this man. And I firmly agree with that. I also think that because of Jesus, we get to be this man too. So I think it's both. I think Luther goes real hard on, no, 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 that's not us, that's Jesus. 
yes and amen. And then we kind of have to course correct a little bit and go, yes, but he also saved us for, for this same thing. Second uh, Timothy 3.16 and 17 tells us that all of scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for some things, teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be equipped, complete, uh, for, complete, equipped for every good work. So the scripture is given to us to help us walk out the Christian life. We see that there. We see it in 1 Thessalonians 4.1 as well. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk, and please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So Paul's speaking to this church and saying, listen, we taught you how you should live your life to honor the Lord. Well, keep going. Keep doing that. So ultimately, the source of Christian ethics is the Bible. Uh, if we don't ground our ethics in God's word and in his moral character, which is revealed to us through God's word, uh, we're going to be on shifting sand all the time. Okay, let's talk about the goal of Christian ethics. Uh, what is the purpose of studying Christian ethics? Um, well, it should be to glorify God, right? This is ultimately as Christians, when we, when we endeavor upon something like this, the goal should be we want to uh, align our lives more fully to his so that he gets the glory, um, not so that we can you know, earn his favor, not so that we can just you know, be seen as decent people, but, but so that God's glorified through our lives. And, and studying ethics helps us think about how to honor him and, and ultimately how to bring him glory. Um, so I want to I hone in on this because I know we're talking a lot about the rights and the wrongs, the, the rules. And I, I, want, I want us to know that God is concerned with more than just our behavior. Like God is not just like Zeus kind of looking down from his mountain and he's got the lightning bolt to hit you with because you're being bad or whatever it is. That's not primarily where God is at. He's, he's concerned about that, but he's really concerned about you as a whole person and me as a whole person, not just the individual actions that we do. Uh, he wants us to not be merely morally good. He wants us, uh, uh, he doesn't want us to do morally good actions rather. He wants us to be morally good people. He wants the heart to be changed. Um, and, and, he, and if we want to see good results that honor him, we have to have a heart change through the gospel. Uh, we, we can't just, you know, modify our behavior and go, okay, that was bad, so I'm going to do this now. We really do need to see the change come from the inside and work its way outward. So I wanted to spend a little time talking about uh, the dangers of legalism. I think this... Uh, I don't know how many of you know this, but I am, I really hate legalism. Okay. <laughs> I really hate it. I think it's terrible. Um, we've tried to uh, keep it at, at bay and it's been a battle in my life. I've been a legalist uh, many, many times and still am a lot of times. Um, but I think when we study ethics, it gets really easy to slip into legalistic language and to think about, well, okay, uh, I'm better than them because I don't do this and they do this. And we need to be careful about that. And I want to I walk us through a little bit of this on the front end. Because from here on out, we're just going to start just blasting through a bunch of ethical things. And I don't want us to completely get lost in this. Um, 
so again, we can have two thoughts in our head at the same time, right? Obedience to God is very important. It is. We should listen to God. (laughs) Should do what he says. But there are two, uh, there are two ditches that we need to avoid. And I, I love that analogy. I think it's helpful that you're on the road. There's two ditches on either side of the road. You don't want to be in either ditch, uh, right? So, so the first ditch, we, we've already talked a little bit about this, but the ditch that we should avoid on one side is called antinomianism, which, uh, again, is anti-law. Basically, the, the, the life that says, none of the rules matter. Throw it all away. Just do what you want to do. Um, and they kind of mask it in Christian language, like, well, Jesus forgives me from all my sins. Therefore, who cares what I do? Okay. God cares what you do. Uh, God cares about your moral life. But there's also a second ditch. And the second ditch is legalism. Um, the, 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 the ditch of legalism, I think, is going to be more dangerous, perhaps, for, for us than antinomianism. Uh, maybe not. Maybe in an individual level, you're more prone to antinomianism. Well, you, you should know, if that's where you're at, um, God does care about your, your uh, decision-making and what you do with your life. Uh, there, that is very clear in Scripture. Um, but for those of us who uh, don't struggle with that and we're more maybe prone towards the rule-keeping side of it, legalism is what becomes dangerous. And so let me give you a few ways in which legalism comes out. And this is the, the, the primary definition of legalism. Legalism regarding justification. So justification is the theological word that the Bible uses to say that we are right with God. Uh, that God sees us as sinless through Christ. Uh, justified means it's just as if I'd never sinned. That's the Sunday school definition for you. And it's helpful because that's what it means. To be justified, it's just as if you'd never sinned uh, in God's eyes because Jesus takes all your sin upon himself. So obviously, justification by faith alone is the heart of the gospel. Uh, that is the gospel. And it's, it is... Um, it is so vital that we understand that we are never justified before God by our works. This is what Paul clearly teaches in the book of Galatians. It's the whole reason he wrote Galatians, um, Galatians 2.16 in particular. Listen to how much he emphasizes this point. He repeats it like three times. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but is justified through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus, which is what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. I mean, he's, he's tripling down on this point. This is huge because this was the problem in Galatia. The people believed that, that in order to be right with God, they had to believe in Jesus and also apply all of these uh, Old Testament ethical standards to their life. And if you didn't do that, you weren't saved. And so Paul comes in and he swoops in and he goes, no, no, no. No one is justified by works of the law. We are justified by faith in Jesus and only Jesus. So one form of legalism, I think the primary definition of legalism actually, is teaching that we are justified by works instead of by faith alone. And so uh, there's... Obviously, a huge problem with doing that. It's totally anti-biblical. Um, 
And we've got to guard against any form of legalism that slips into that. Um, but here at Springbrook, we are not legalists. So we don't, have, we don't believe that in any way, shape, or form, and we, we will bang that drum forever, that we are saved through Jesus by faith alone in him and never by works. Um, but there are other forms of legalism, and I want to talk about some of these that maybe are a little easier for us to fall into. One is that legalism in adding to the commands of Scripture. So another form of legalism is adding to the moral requirements of the Bible. So, for example, this is just an example. If someone were to say to uh, you as a Christian that you have to follow the Mosaic laws, the, the laws of Moses about holiday observances or unclean foods, that would be adding to the moral requirements of Scripture for Christians in the New Testament age. So if someone ever comes to you and says, you can't be a Christian and eat bacon, you say, you get out of here and you never come back. You are not allowed in, around me anymore, right? Because that Jesus said we can eat bacon. So we eat bacon joyfully. If someone says you can't, they're wrong. They're adding to the commands of Scripture. Christ has declared all foods clean, the Bible says. And so we, uh, we, we believe that and we, we don't add to things that the Bible doesn't say. Um, Galatia was doing this too. Paul rebuked those Christians by saying, you observe days and months and seasons and years. That's probably a reference to them following the Jewish calendar with the feasts and the festivals and, and all those things that, um, that are, you know, as you read the Old Testament story, they were given all of these uh, days to observe, all these rules to observe through the feasts and the, and the calendar. And, Paul says, you do this, and I'm afraid I've labored over you in vain. It's like you're missing the point. What are you doing? And so, again, we, uh, we, we have to be careful not to add to what God says, um, not make requirements that he doesn't make, and that's one form of legalism. It, it, it can happen pretty, pretty easily. It can happen in even, like, subtle ways, less, less intense than someone saying you can't eat bacon because nobody in their right mind would say you can't eat bacon. But, um, but it can happen with, you ha- I heard this as a kid a lot, as a teenager. You have to have a morning devotional time. <laughs> Do you? Did, did God say that? Now, should you? Well, we can talk about that. I think it's smart, wise. But some of us aren't morning people. My wife's not a morning person. If I tried to force her to read her Bible in the morning, it, it'd just get bad. It'd get bad for everybody. Um, but, but should you read your Bible? Should you invest in your relationship with Jesus? Yes, of course. The Bible teaches us we should. Is there a set prescribed time in which you have to do that? No. But, but uh, I, I've, I've had people say that to me. I've had people say, if you don't read the King James translation, you're not, you're not reading the Bible. And it's like, oh, I didn't realize that God's word was only in uh, Shakespearean English. Okay, cool. I thought it was written in Greek and Hebrew, but all right, whatever. Right? So you have those kinds of things. They slip in. People get really convicted about their particular things. And that's okay for them. Like if he wants to read the King James, read it. That's fine. No one's going to judge you for that. I'll judge you a little bit, but no one's going to judge you too much for that. Uh, but, what you, but you can't impose those individual character uh, or desires onto everybody else if it's not in Scripture. Um, you can say, hey, you can't murder people. Like, and you can make that statement to anybody because that is actually a moral requirement. Uh, so 
So to say to the guy in Idaho, you shouldn't have murdered those people, that's true. And there's nothing wrong with saying that because it's true and it's universally true. Um, so anyway, so legalism in adding is a problem. Uh, a couple more. Legalism in attitudes is another problem. Um, this, this is very common in the churches uh, all over the world, I think. This is a problem with human beings. But we can become legalistic in attitudes towards one another. This would include having a critical spirit, judgmental attitude, um, rather than a gracious and forgiving attitude. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? Because God in Christ forgave you. Um, You can also say, just as we should forgive one another because Christ forgave me, we should be kind because Christ is kind to us and tenderhearted because Jesus is tenderhearted towards us. And so that should be the default mode for us as, as Christians. But some people habitually seem to have a, a critical spirit. And uh, either by their words or their body language or facial expressions, they project negative judgments or accusations or condemnation towards others. Um, such a critical spirit is inconsistent with Christ-like character uh, because it fails to imitate his love, mercy, and compassion. So I think we need to, again, this is a heart issue. This is not um, really something that we can just you know, fix it instantly. This is something that the Lord has to change in us as we think about others, as we approach others. Are we approaching them with a spirit of criticism and critique or are we actually approaching them uh, with, as, as people with, good, with goodwill and good intentions to help them? Um, and what are we communicating with our words or our body language? And, and I get it, like facial expressions or body language. Sometimes you're just not thinking about any of that, and that's fine. You don't have to plaster some phony smile on your face all the time. Um, some people just look mad when they're not talking. That's fine. Like, everybody's got a different face. The, but the point is, is that uh, as much as possible, we should, we should be um, positively um, helping one another through kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiveness, because that's what the scriptures call us to. One more on the uh, danger of legalism, and then I'm going to just wrap up with what the class is, give you kind of a, a structure, and then we'll take questions if you have any. But uh, legalism in emphasis is the last one I want to mention here. Um, so there can be legalism in doctrinal matters like justification uh, and you know following the Mosaic Law. There can also be legalism in attitudes, uh, how we treat one another. But there can also be a legalism in how we emphasize things. Um, so some people can major on minor things and be picky, nitpicky, judgmental, um, take a minor detail that, that they think is right but might actually be wrong. It might even be wrong on the other side that they're, that they're trying to confront. Um, but something that they should probably just overlook, right? Like some things just aren't worth rising to making the biggest deal out of, right? Like there are some things that we should approach and direct head on. Uh, If somebody is telling us that we should um, find our salvation in works of the law, yeah, that's something we need to address head on. We don't need to beat around the bush. Uh, But if somebody is arguing with you about, the the meaning of 
you know, a thousand years in Revelation, <coughs> excuse me, maybe we should like have some humility there and not be so legalistic in our emphasis. Even if you really firmly believe the other position is wrong, you can kind of approach it with grace, um, which is which is how we should approach everything uh, ultimately as Christians. So those are the issues of legalism. I wanted to get into that because um, as we go through this class, we're going to talk through lots of different ethical issues. And it's going to be very easy for us to just kind of pivot our minds to the people we can think of who are dealing with this or struggling with this or doing this. <coughs> Excuse me. And then make that like a, a kind of a judgy attitude uh, towards them. So we should just be cautious and guard our hearts as much as we can um, uh, through through all of this. So, okay. Uh, so today's probably going to be the shortest class of all. It's only about an hour and so into this, but um, it's going to get longer, trust me, because <laughs> once we start getting into the actual ethical issues, it, it can get kind of interesting. And I do want you guys to ask questions as we go through this, because inevitably it's going to be something that, you know, pops in your head and you go, oh, what about this? But I, I just want to kind of wrap up tonight with what the class is, what, what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. Again, I, I think through things kind of systematically. It's just how my brain works. I like a structure as much as I can. Um, it helps me think through it. And so I want to, I want to talk about how um, the Bible teaches us ethical living um, and how we should conform to the image of Christ. That's the point of this class. I do want to just caution and say that we're going to get into some political territory, uh, inevitably, because the things we're going to talk about are cultural things. They're happening in the real world, and that inevitably kind of bleeds into our political discourse, especially right now. Like maybe if we were in the 90s, it wouldn't be so bad. But right now, it's just we're living in kind of a wild time politically. Um, I don't want to discourage you from asking questions regarding that, but I'm, I want you to know I'm not here to uh, pick a side on a political party. I'm not here to be a, a spokesperson for the Democrats or the Republicans or the Libertarians or the Green Party or anything else. Uh, I'm, I'm a Christian pastor. I want to point you to Jesus. And uh, yes, we're going to get into things that inevitably carry us into some political discussions. Um, let's try to keep it civil and kind and gracious, right, towards one another. Um, but but yeah, we can we can definitely have some of these. I just want you to know it's not intentionally meant to be a political, cultural kind of class. We're we're really talking about what the Bible teaches. But because the Bible teaches things about real life, um, we're going to get into that kind of stuff as as it goes. But I'm going to try to be as apolitical as I can. You guys, for those of you who have been around the church a while, you know I'm I'm not a spokesperson for any political persuasion. It's not my jam. It's not my interest. Um, you, you can vote for whoever you want and I'm cool with you. So, uh, we, we, we can just, I just wanted to kind of put that out there because I know it's going to get, it can get a little spicy at times. So let's, let's be as gracious to each other as we can and not make this about, uh, the politics of the day, um, or the cult cultural issues of the day even. Let's, let's really think through it as Christians. Um, but for this course, we're going to go through, uh, we have five more classes, so we're going to work through five broad ethical areas um, using the Ten Commandments as our outline. So that's, that's the way Grudem kind of established. Actually, both uh, Frame and Grudem uh, 
work through their their ethical f- framework through the Ten Commandments. Um, and so I think that's a really helpful way to discuss these things in a way that's not just like rapid fire trying to like, you know, pin the tail on the donkey or something. Like let's think through it in a logical way. And the Bible gives us uh, an ethical standard called the Ten Commandments. Um, these are, these again are, some of the rules, some of the deontological ethics that we talked about earlier can fall into this. God says, don't murder. God says, don't commit adultery. These are, these are rules. These are black and white, yes and no situations. So as we work through these 10 commandments, though, uh, they're going to open up uh, a whole wide range of discussion. So it's not just going to be, let's talk about this one particular thing that it says. We're actually going to take it and work through the, the, the implication of that command. So there are, so for an example, um, honor your father and mother is a, is a command that on its surface say, okay, how do we respond to our mom and dad, biological parents? There's, that's part of it. But on a broader level, honor your father and mother teaches us about human authority. So how, do, how does human authority fit in to life in a fallen world? Right? Do not commit adultery on the surface. It can be, okay, if you're married, don't sleep with someone else. Stay with your spouse. Yeah, true. Absolutely right. Also teaches us a lot about sexual ethics, the things that uh, God intends for us uh, with, our, with our bodies and in our sexuality. So there's a lot of ways in which we're going to take this to be broad. Um, and we're going to try to do our best to um, work through, can't work through every possible uh, angle, but we're going to pull out what we can from each of these commandments. Now, obviously, we've only got five weeks. We've got 10 commandments. Uh, next week, we're going to work through the first five commandments all in one because uh, it's kind of, they all kind of fall into a broader category of how do we deal with like our relationship with God, so that we're going to take all that in one week and then we'll take the rest of the five um, uh, or the rest of the, yeah, I guess the rest of the, the five in the next four weeks from there. Um, I want to just emphasize this again. Uh, we talked about this in the legalism thing, but we're not justified by works of the law, right? So the Ten Commandments is law. Uh, in fact, we're not justified by our obedience to the Ten Commandments because guess what? We can't keep them. We can't. And so Jesus kept them for us. So we're not presenting the Ten Commandments as you just need to do these ten things perfectly and then you'll be saved. We've all failed to keep those ten things in any meaningful way. So what we're doing is not using them as a way to pivot you towards moral obedience. It's a way to point you to what does God call us to in a fallen world through his expectations and commands uh, to the people of Israel. So they show us how life works best in a fallen world, and that's how we're going to approach them. So this is the basic outline of the course. Uh, we, we did the introduction today. Um, we're going to do um, these five broad categories um, over the course of the next five weeks. Next week, we'll be protecting God's honor. Uh, how do we do that? What does that mean um, within the first five commandments that we look at? Then the, the next week after that, we will talk about protecting human authority, as I said, with the your, your, uh, honor your father and mother command. Um, protecting human life, which comes from do not murder. 
So what does it mean to protect human life and the broader issues of that command to not murder? Uh, In fact, Jesus takes these commands, many of them, at least a couple of them, the, the murder command and the adultery command in particular, and he does broaden them much, much wider than just the surface level. So that's, some, that's something that we can do too. Um, we'll talk about protecting marriage uh, in the fourth, uh, the, I guess the fifth week. And then uh, we'll close with protecting property, um, which is uh, the command, do not, do not covet your neighbor's stuff. Um, and so we'll talk through those five things in the next five weeks. Do you guys have any questions about what we've talked about tonight or what we're going to talk about or anything that's popped up? And I'm sure, trust me, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for questions in the, in the next uh, handful of weeks. But didn't, I know we blasted through an hour of stuff really quickly there. But yeah, any questions? Anything you wanted to get clarity on? Wow. I'm better at this than I thought. No. I don't really have a question, but <laughs> yeah, that's is right. it possible to like kind of get a little printout of what you're doing? Like what? Sure. You know, like yeah, that should be easy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can yeah. more notes next to that. And I can definitely come up with something for that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I can do that for you. Yeah. I'll get some handouts. Yeah. I, 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 again, I'm more of a comment. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> so you went through all those ethics. Mm-hmm. And the only true ethic is Christian ethics. Yeah. And we see so much of that other stuff around us. Mm-hmm. And personally, I've experienced that if you don't go along with that, sometimes I'm not the gracious person. Right? Mm-hmm. But if mm-hmm. you don't go along with that, you're viewed as being legalistic. All of a sudden, you're better mm-hmm. than me. Yeah. That And that mm-hmm. I've been told that to my face. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And there's so much of that silliness around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think that's that's true, and I've experienced that too. And yeah, yeah I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Okay. Well, you can feel free to chat with me afterwards if you if you'd rather ask questions that way. That's fine. Uh, let me pray for us, and then uh, we'll be dismissed for tonight. Um, about 720, not too bad for, for the first one here. All right, Jesus, thank you for giving us uh, a picture through your word of who you are. Uh, and thank you, uh, Father, for, for calling us to be conformed um, to the image of your Son. We pray that you would continue to do that work in us as we live our lives um, in this world, as we struggle and stumble and fall uh, to live up to your your standards of of holiness but we pray for your help and continued guidance uh, to lead us and sanctify us and mature us and we pray we won't we would not uh, leave here depending on anything but christ for our um for our lives and for our salvation and we pray all of this in jesus name amen, amen.